Hey, happy Easter. There we go. I knew you guys would be there, all right? Seven o'clock, they were like, oh, already? I'm like, yeah, the tomb's empty. Let's get this thing going, right? (laughs) Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors. A little bit about redemption. We are one church with multiple congregations, and we meet in five other places throughout the valley, as well as in Flagstaff, and all all of our congregations are meeting today together to celebrate Easter. Uh, clearly, as many of you know, this is a big day for Christians throughout the whole world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to do that, and we're going to look at a very familiar story in John chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me in John, the Gospel of John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and go ahead and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of the Bible. And if you don't own a copy for yourself, please keep the one that we are handing out so that you can have a copy of God's Word. And if you have the Bibles that we're handing out, I believe it's page 583, John chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Go ahead and turn there. Um, as you turn there, a couple announcements that I have. Next week, we have baptisms. Um, and baptism in itself for us is a great Sunday. Um, if you've ever been here on a baptism Sunday, we bought a really, really expensive horse trough that we bring on stage. <laughs> And we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Many of our baptisms are spontaneous. What that means is people will come up with their clothes that they wore on that Sunday, believe in Christ Jesus, and be baptized um, into his family. Now, many of you go, I already know that I'm going to be baptized. I'd rather have a change of clothes. Um, So what we would say is for you, if you're a Christian, you love Christ, you trust in Jesus, and you've never been baptized, and you want to be baptized this next Sunday, if you would take the information card that's in front of you, Fill out your name, your email address, and just put what service you're being baptized, and then we'll be able to get you some information and email you some information that you would want to know, and you can invite your friends and family. We'll have baptisms at every single service, and you can let us know what service you're going to get baptized in. Also, next week we start a new series. We're going to take a break from our series in Romans, and we're going to look at pictures of the kingdom. I'm primarily looking at Matthew chapter 13 and Jesus' four stories there talking about the kingdom of God. This is a series that we're really excited about. Though we talk about the kingdom a lot and the gospel of the kingdom. What does it look like to live into the kingdom of God now? And so we'll start that series next week. Uh, we'll continue our normal service times, which are at 9 a.m., uh, 10.45 a.m., 5 p.m., as well as 7 p.m. That's all I have for a time of announcements. Let's jump right into the text. Um, some context of John chapter 11. Maybe you don't know John chapter 11. And John chapter 11 is a story about a man named Lazarus and how he died. Um, Lazarus dies. In the very beginning of chapter 11, it says that he's sick and he's dying, and they call for Jesus. Jesus does not get to the tomb in time, and by the time that Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. And he begins to express his concern and his words to Martha and Mary, his uh, Lazarus sisters. And so in the Gospels, You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who were the closest to Jesus as the disciples. And then the only other time that you hear the Bible writers um, talk about his love, and especially his expressive love, you hear him talk most about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They were two sisters and a brother that Jesus loved dearly. And so there's a context that we'll pick up in. But what I want to be able to point out for us this morning, as as we celebrate the resurrection... And looking at this story is, one, the resurrection in itself is the greatest miracle that has ever happened, that God himself raised Jesus from the dead and promises us hope and life in Jesus, in Jesus alone. But also with the resurrection comes what we believe is God's expressive cosmic love for his creation. Meaning through the cross and then as well as the resurrection that we celebrate this morning, God is expressing his love for all of the world. 
and especially for those who trust in Jesus. And so during this text, one of the things we'll see as we look through the lens of, uh, of this story is we'll see that God in Christ is expressing his love in truth. He expresses his love through tears, and he expresses his love through action. So he expresses his love through truth, through tears, and through his actions. And so if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to John 11, beginning in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and everything that it means. We thank you for the joy that it brings. We thank you for the promise that it brings and for the hope that it brings that we too one day will be raised with your son, Jesus. God, we pray that the reality of your love and the reality of the resurrection would set in our hearts today, that we'd be able to learn from this story to see your love expressed through truth, you see your love expressed through tears, and to see your love expressed through the action of raising uh, your friend Lazarus. God, help us to see ourselves in this story, that it would relate to us even this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's a moment as kids, very, very early, that you begin to realize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, some of you, you experienced that maybe when you found that your parents' marriage wasn't as strong as maybe you thought it was. Uh, maybe it was a tragic loss that you particularly had. But at some point, you realize the world in which we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, for me, the first time that I ever cried over something was in fourth grade. I can remember like it was yesterday. Uh, we were in PE class, and, um, and in this PE session, our PE teacher called us back before class was over, which wasn't normal, and had to sit down on our numbers. Now, in California, you had numbers printed on the blacktop, and you would sit down on them. Um, we, we don't do that in Arizona because that would be like child abuse, right? <laughs> So our PE teacher was a guy by the name of Mr. Larrick, who never looked like he'd ever done physical education a day in his life. Um, and he comes to us, and he sits us down, and he takes off his hat, which he never took off his hat. And he says, I got some bad news, guys. And he says, Magic Johnson has HIV, and he's going to die. And so I start crying, right? I'm nine years old. When I'm like, I don't even know what HIV is, right? And like, you know, I try to explain HIV to, to a nine-year-old, right? And some of you are going, now I have to because my nine-year-old's with me, all right? But so, thank you. Uh, and, and he, but he just says he's going to die. Now, I, the reason why I start crying is I was a huge Magic Johnson fan. Like, I was a Laker fan. Like, I know this hurts, but I'm still a Laker fan. And Magic Johnson was everything about the Lakers. I mean, he was showtime. And I understand there's, there's not a ton of athletes in this, in this church. There's a lot of artists. Think of it this way, right? Um, Pollock. <laughs> Pollock is the guy, you guys know the art that it looks like someone just splashed paint around. Right? This guy Pollock started that, right? Someone told me, right? Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson was like an artist on the court because he would take the ball and just throw it anywhere and people would be there to receive it. It was showtime. Like LA was, was LA because of Magic Johnson, not Michael Jackson, Magic Johnson. And when I heard that, that Magic was going to die, I was like, oh no, like this, this is terrible. 
And, 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 and some of you guys may know this, he didn't die. Um, in fact, Magic's probably going to live longer than all of us. But I was sad I came undone in that moment. And, 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 and I know that some of you may say, I'm in that moment now. Through marriage, through family, through life, through work, through whatever circumstances, I'm in that I'm in that moment now and here. A lot of times we say, well, Good Friday is supposed to be the day that we mourn, and then Easter is that we're just really happy clappy. Yes and no. Because Good Friday is the day that Jesus did die, but when we think about it, the first Resurrection Sunday was not a day that everybody woke up and thought, wow, today's a good day. No, people were still mourning the loss of their friend. Jesus was their guy, and he was dead. That they had put their hope in him, and to this point, they thought, it's over. And there was a lot of sadness. So we begin that saying, how can we learn from the story of Lazarus, of Jesus' love? What does the resurrection give for us as we live in a day, as we live in a world that is still broken, that is not fully redeemed? As we live in a world where there's chaos, there's pain, there's loss, how, how do we reconcile those things and how do we live resurrected lives? And, and I believe that it is understanding the love of the resurrection through his truth, through his tears, and through his actions. And so what we just heard read in verse 17 is Jesus shows up on the scene. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, it says Lazarus has been dead for four days. Verse 17 says that. And the reason why I think that John wrote that in into his gospel is that Jewish people believed that when a person died, that the soul would hover over the body for at least three days. And then they believed that after three days, when the body began to, be, uh, to decompose, that the soul would say, not going to happen, death in itself is completely irreversible, and leave. And he says, so it's four days, meaning it had to be a divine miracle for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. And then it says that Martha heard that Jesus was coming. And so she left the people who were mourning with her and mourning with her sister Mary to go meet Jesus. And when she meets Jesus, she says to him, if you would have been here my brother would not have died. Now, I don't think that Jesus, excuse me, I don't think that Martha is telling Jesus, it's your fault, right? It's your fault. She's saying, I know that you would have been able to heal him. You've healed people before. You see, she believed that Jesus could heal. She had no idea that Jesus was going to be able to raise her brother. I mean, she believed that he was probably the son of God, but she had no idea the miracle that he was able to accomplish. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, your brother will rise again. And then listen to Mary's response here. Um, verse, verse 24, or Martha's response. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That is kind of the response we give people. It's kind of a pat answer. He's in a better place. She's in a, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out okay. One day it'll be okay. Kind of like everything happens for a reason. You're going to learn something. Like pat answers, right? And truth be told, people are going to be in a better place in Christ. But Jesus is saying, she's thinking, oh, you mean he's going to rise again on the last day, the resurrection. You see, uh, the Jewish people and Hebrew people, they had a better understanding of the resurrection than, than many of us have. Because they looked at the Old Testament and they learned and they believed about the resurrection. Mainly when we think about the resurrection, we think about it primarily in individualistic ways. Like, I'm going to be raised, and maybe my soul is going to be raised, and it's going to go to heaven somewhere, and we're going to float around. And I'm sure it's going to be good, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, Jewish people believed, especially by reading the Old Testament prophets um, at the end of Daniel in chapter 12, that there was going to be this trumpet sound, and the dead were going to be raised that all of God's people were going to be raised, that they were going to have glorified bodies, and they were going to have, for the first time, what the Hebrew writers called shalom. 
that things were going to be the way that they're supposed to be, that the lion would lay with the lamb, and that there would not be economic strife and poverty and sickness and decay and murder and death. Those things would be no more. They longed for that day. And so when Martha says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to raise him, I know that on the last day, but what about now? What she had no idea is Jesus is like, watch what I'm about to do, right? Like, I'm about to do so. You, you think that? Watch. Just watch. Now, here's what Jesus begins to do in expressing his love through truth. Um, there are moments in your life that no matter how broken or how busted or how chaotic that moment is, that you don't necessarily need a pat on the back. Sometimes you need direct truth. Um, sometimes you need people to speak, speak to you directly and tell you the way that it is. And so what Jesus does here, he does that for Martha. I mean, there's moments where when it comes to reality, we need people to tell us the truth about ourselves. We don't like it, but we need it. Um, now, here's an illustration, kind of a silly illustration, and I've shared this with many of you guys before, but, um, and it's about me and my wife, who I love. Um, let me tell you a story, right? Is when you're dating, I know some of you are married, some of you are when you're dating, it's like you're not presenting your, your, your real self, right? You're the fake you, right? It's... Um, do you always work out? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> do you always read your Bible? You mean Daniel and Leviticus? All the time, right? Do you have a job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you go through the premarital counseling and whatnot, you get some stuff there, but there's still stuff that you're holding back. Once you get married, now you start telling your spouse and your spouse starts telling you things about each other that, that you've always wanted to say. Like, I wasn't going to ask this before, but now that you're married, it's like the doors are closed, they're locked, you can't go anywhere. <laughs> and so one of those moments for us was Holly had these pair of overalls. And I remember one morning we were married and I thought, today is the day. <laughs> and I went to her closet and I said, uh, sweetheart, baby, boo, <laughs> uh, these, these overalls, they, they got to go. And she's like, what? I always wear those overalls. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they got to go, right? And, and she's like, look at the brand. They're, they're expensive, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen. She goes, why can't I wear those overalls? I'm like, listen, grown women should not be wearing overalls, right? Now, if you're here and you wear your overalls today, not you. <laughs> you're fine. I said, listen, pregnant women, little girls wear overalls. Like, they, it looks cute on them. We're not going to do the overall things. And she goes, okay. Okay. Now you think, fellas, <laughs> you think, oh, I won. <laughs> this is, this, this, right? <laughs> and sure enough, she goes, oh, let's look at your closet. And she picks out like my favorite shirt. She goes, this shirt's got to go. And I said, why? It was, a, it was an Echo shirt, which I thought, honestly, I thought it was dope. And she said, um, there's a rhino, like a big rhino on the shirt. I'm like, yeah, that's how he does it. It's a rhino. It's nice. She goes, there's a rhino on your shirt. And I said, yeah, what's wrong with this? Grown men don't have animals on their shirt. <laughs> When you say it like that, I got an animal on my shirt. What grown? No, I'm getting rid of this shirt, right? So we got rid of those clothes. Honesty in there. Like, let me just be honest with you. You've, ne you've never looked. Every time you wear that shirt, I go, ugh. I'm like, really? Honesty. It's truth. Now, in a, in a bigger situation is Martha comes to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, if you could have been here, my brother would have not died. And he says, he's going he's gonna to rise. I'm about to raise him. She's oh, yeah, yeah, the, the last day. And he doesn't put his arm around her, but he gives her truth. And the truth that he gives her is the truth we all need. The truth that he gives her is the truth that every single person, dead or alive, needs. And it's none other than Jesus himself. Read with me here when Jesus responds to Martha. 
and verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry about your brother, though there's a point for that, and there's a time for that. We'll get to the tears. But in love, he looks at her and says, listen, I don't think you understand. What Lazarus needs and what you need and what everybody needs is standing before you. You're talking about this resurrection that's going to happen in the future sometime. You're talking about the day in which God is going to make all things right. Do you realize that doesn't happen without me? You're, you're sad because your brother is dead, as you should be. Do you realize I'm the one who gives life? Jesus personifies the resurrection. He goes, it's not just an event. It's me. I am ultimate reality. And Jesus speaking to Martha in truth is speaking through Martha throughout all the ages to every single person to believe in him. That whatever it is that you are looking for, for your purpose, for your value, for your dignity, for your meaning, what gets you up in the morning? All of those things apart from Christ will fail. All of things apart from Christ are broken. Jesus says, in the midst of chaos, in brokenness, in sadness, in high times and low times, I am the resurrection. He says every single thing, your relationships, your family, your friends, they make sense and have meaning in him. Everything flows from the center, which is Jesus Christ. He goes, I have come into this world to lift everyone up in myself. I have come to restore and make new. Jesus is essentially saying all of life is about me. And he says, I am the life. And then he makes a statement that seems redundant, but he's speaking truth. Two sides of the same coin. And here's what he says after he says, I'm the resurrection of life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The first part he says that whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall live. He's saying any person that believes in me and dies, um, he's going to live. The person who believes in me is going to live. He's going to live. He's going to live. Every man, every child, every person, every woman that trusts in Jesus will live. And then the second part, he says this, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, meaning the people who are alive, the people, pe- us, people, people in this world, across this globe, that trust in Jesus, who rest in his finished work, who sees that he is in himself good news, and that salvation is in him and by faith in him. He says, that person, he's not going to die. She's not going to die. We will have a physical death, all of us. We will experience what a Lazarus experienced. But he says that the relationship that we have with Jesus will ensure that there will be not one millisecond that will pass by that we won't be in complete fellowship with God. Chapters earlier when Jesus spoke, very famous passage, and he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever should believe in him, Jesus says, whoever would believe in me, the resurrection, the life, shall not perish. Meaning they, they won't die physically and spiritually and be completely separated, me for all eter- for, separated from me for all eternity. Is that, that won't, if they believe in me, they won't perish. If they don't, they will. If they believe in me, they won't. And he says, if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. And that's not just duration of life or how long it will be, but it's a quality. And what Jesus is saying here to Martha, what he's saying to us is, you trust in Jesus. If you die, he will raise you up. You trust in Jesus. When you die, immediately you fall into his arms and to seeing the face of Jesus and that you will have life with God for all eternity. What that means for the Christian 
in the midst of a chaotic world, what the resurrection promises for us in Christ Jesus is that this life is as bad as it's going to get. It's as bad as it's going to get. It's only going to get better in Jesus. It only will get better in Jesus. The moments of highs here could never compare to a life fully apart from sin and a restored world living with our God. And Jesus asked the question to Martha, and again through Martha to all of us, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that? Martha responds. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What Martha needed and what we need is the truth of God in Jesus. In moments where situations seem bleak, what we need is the truth of God as revealed in Jesus. Faith, just good old faith in his death and resurrection to remind ourselves this is as bad as it's going to get. It's only going to get better in Christ. Amen? So we have his love expressed through truth. But the reality is, some of us love that. Yes, whenever somebody's sad, I'm just going to give them truth. Uh, There's moments where people need tears. And Jesus doesn't only just give truth. Now, in a different scenario, Mary's going to come and ask the same question that Martha asked, and Jesus has got a totally different experience. Read with me here, beginning in verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. There are moments where God's love is expressed through truth, and we need truth. And there are moments where his love is expressed through tears. You see, the scene here is that Mary wanted to leave the village to go meet Jesus. And the reason why Jesus is not going to the village is because Jesus knows the closer he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be murdered. It is at a point in time they want to murder him. And so Mary comes out to meet him, and then she also has a people who think they're going to, who are going to weep with her, thinking she's going to the tomb. They come too. Now here's what's always also custom in that day. When someone died, you would mourn for that person for 30 days, and you'd mourn with the family. The people would come in to mourn with them, and the, set, the first seven days were the most intense. In fact, even the poorest of family was required to hire at least two flute players and then also one professional mourner, like someone who's a professional crier, which, that's a great job, right? <laughs> so here's the situation that you have. You have, you have the, the mourners, the professional mourner, the flute players, all of them are following Mary, and they get to Jesus, and then she says the same thing that, Mary, that Martha said. And he doesn't say, I'm the resurrection. Here's the truth. He looks at her and goes, where have they laid him? And he gets there, and it says, shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. He weeps. Truth and then tears. And he weeps. 
he weeps for them. He cares for them. He expresses his love. Now, I, I, I myself um, and you yourself know that there are certain moments where you don't want anybody's words. And what's best, what's going to speak to your soul is their emotion and how near they come to you. Um, I guess I said I didn't grow up in a family where people cried a whole lot. We, we, didn't, have, we didn't show a lot of emotions, plural. We had one emotion. It was anger, um, and all of us showed it. <laughs> and and, and when, um, when things would happen, I mean, I would just kind of just pull back from certain things, right? And I, I remember crying. Um, one, of the first, one, one of the times I remember crying was uh, everything, for the most part, had to do with sports. And um, in, in eighth grade, we played the little championship game. We actually traveled out here to, to uh, Arizona to play a team, and we won. And after the game, I was crying. And someone on the team was like, why are you crying? I'm like, because Pop Warner's over. And he's like, dude, there's high school. And I was like, all right. So I got into high school, and my senior year in high school, we went to the state championship. We won that, and I really started crying. And I'm like, my friend, was, my friend Ricky was like, why are you crying? I'm like, because high school football is over. And he's like, yeah, but you get to go to college. And so then I get to college, and then my senior year, we go to the Sun Bowl in El Paso, beautiful city, and while we're, while, we're, while we're there in El Paso, we win the game, and I start crying because I realize my life's over, right? <laughs> like, this is it. There's no next from that. It's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with the rest of my life, right? I did, that, just, what, that was it. I was excited about those things. Um, and so I didn't see my mom. I didn't see my dad. I didn't see people crying. I remember um, in our family, not many people had died when I was younger. When I got into high school, I felt like people were dying all over the place in my family. And my grandfather, who was our pastor, he got an aneurysm and he died. And then the next, the, the next, um, the next year, my, my grandmother, who was my favorite grandmother, which last service I said that and I said we weren't going to record it. We're not going to record this one either. Eventually, I won't say favorite grandmother because my other grandma's going to listen to it and get all hurt, but she's not my favorite. Um, <laughs> So my, my favorite grandmother, she, she dies. And I remember being at the funeral. I'm 16 years old, and I'm looking at the body. And, and, and many of you know that experience. You go, that's not her. And, um, and I remember saying, I'm never going to a funeral again. And that's when I was saying, I'm never getting, I'm, I'm never going to get this close to death again. Never. And then the next year, my uncle, who was living with him at the time, got cancer. And... It went fast. And what was significant about this was, this was my guy. When I was seven years old, he introduced me to football. And not just introduced me to him, he taught me everything. Like, this was it. And our relationship was primarily around this sport that we both loved. And when I went to see him, it was a week that we played this, before we played the state championship game, my mom's like, you gotta go. And I was like, I'm not going. You know I'm not going. I'm not gonna go to the funeral. You know, I don't get close to that. I don't like, I don't like the way it does. I don't like what it does to me. And she goes, you have to go. So we went, and I, and I knew my mom knew he was dying. I saw him on the bed there, and it was really hard, and we tried to talk, and he really couldn't talk. And I remember getting in the car, driving home, and my mother was driving, and I was in the passenger seat, and I remember looking over to the window next to me and, 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 and crying, not making any noises, and just letting myself cry, and then wiping my eyes off um, so my mom wouldn't see me crying. And then when I turned around, probably the best thing I could have ever saw was my mom with her hands on the steering wheel was doing the exact same thing not making any noise, and crying. And I believe in that moment, my mother was crying for me. And it felt good. She couldn't say anything to me. There was nothing she could say to console me. But her, me seeing her in that moment for me meant the world. We never talked about it. I didn't go to the funeral. It, it, it was enough for me. What's unique in this story 
Jesus enters in. And you know what? Jesus knows in just a moment he's going to raise Lazarus. He knows that. But for whatever reason here, he weeps. He comes undone. Some of us, we love seeing a God of truth. We love that. But we don't see his tears. And some of us, we love seeing his tears, but we don't like his truth. He's both. He's both. And you know what you need? is not just to see him looking at Lazarus and caring about his situation. Whatever situation you've gone through, whatever situation you're in, whatever situation at some point you will go through, you have to know that you have a God who has emotion, who weeps for you, who cares dearly for you. And for your family and for your situation, he loves. What did the Jews say? When they saw him weep, they say, look how much he loved him. You see, in this moment, there was two weepings that were happening. The weeping of the people, and the language behind the word weeping there was a crying out loud, like really loud. When it says that Jesus wept, it is a particular word that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And the word for weeping there is that of a stern face, no expressive emotion other than tears incessantly flowing. He cared deeply. Jesus wept. He wept. Let me tell you this. You will weep too. You will weep. In this world, you will weep. You know why? You can't escape it. We can't avoid it. Even though I try to remove myself from death, you can't remove yourself from the pangs of this world. We see poverty. We see, we see our own life. We see our own brokenness. We see marriages fall apart. We see it, and it makes us cry. You know why? Because we're creating the image of God. The same God who wept, we're created in his, his image. And because of that, we love. C.S. Lewis, in speaking of this, talks about the only way to avoid this type of love or to heartbreaking, is to not love anything. In fact, he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a, in a safe, lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. And the only place where a heart like that could live is in hell. The only place that a heart like that could, could exist is in hell. Jesus says, I will have none of that. Weep. And he weeps. He, he expresses his love and truth. I am what you're looking for, he says. Everything that, you're look, everything that you're trying to look for in philosophy and books and in intellectual pursuits and in relationships and sex and drugs, I am the ultimate reality. In me is every single desire satisfied. That's the truth. He's the resurrection and the life. And then, in the same situation, he weeps. He's not all truth without tears and not all tears without truth. He's both, and his truth and his tears is expressed in his action. So all of his love comes down to this that he's going to raise Lazarus. And if you read with me here, continuing the story in verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again. I want to pause there because I want to talk about the language here. When it says Jesus deeply moved in verse 38, if you jump back up to verse 32, 33, excuse me, it says he was deeply moved. That phrase there um, in the NIV and the ESV in our translation, it doesn't do the best job at translating it because the language behind there, the only other time it's used in the Bible is speaking of an animal. It means literally to snort like a horse. Jesus is angry. Yes, there's truth. Yes, there's tears, but he's angry. You have to say, what is he angry at? What is he mad at? 
What is he so upset for? Meaning he's moved. He immediately speaks the truth to Martha. He sees the people weeping. He weeps for his friends, Lazarus. He weeps for his people. And then he sets his face towards the tomb with anger. Meaning he's not just moving there sadly. He's moving there with intense passion and anger for something. He can't be mad at Lazarus for dying. He can't control that. And he can't be mad for the people for weeping. He just wept himself. What we know by implication, what Jesus is mad at is Jesus is mad at death. He's mad at murder. He's mad at decay. He's mad at depression. He's mad at mental illness. He's mad at poverty. He's mad at every single thing that death and sin has caused in this world and all its effects. He's mad at decay. He's mad at all of it. And so he moves to the tomb. And as as the Gospel of John continues, verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet bound with linen and stripes, and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. The action of Jesus and his truth and his tears expressed ultimately in his love and saying, my friend Lazarus will live. He will live. And it's a beautiful story. And it's a great story to bring out on Easter. Because in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our brokenness, we can say our God is a God who raises the dead. But we cannot hear the story of Lazarus and think the story is only about Lazarus. We cannot read any of the stories in the Bible and think it's only about the characters. The stories reveal to us a bigger story. And that is what is God is doing for what God is doing in this world. You can't just see the story of Lazarus and when the Jews say, when Jesus weeps, see how he loves him. No, 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 no. The greatest miracle was not Jesus raising Lazarus. In fact, Jesus raising Lazarus does nothing to our eternal salvation. Jesus raising Lazarus gives us a glimpse of his love for Lazarus. What we need is not to know his love for Lazarus, though that's helpful. We need to know his love for us. And the reason why we bring this out in the resurrection is because God is saying, here it is, the greatest display of love in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of cancer and chaos, the greatest display, the only thing that can bring reconciliation in your marriage, hope in your life, a fundamental core belief that gives you an ultimate reality in this world, the way God expresses his love is in the truth of his cross and the tears of his cross and the action of the cross when his son died for you. And then three days later, when our God and our Father and the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and when we see that act, that it's not so much looking at Lazarus and saying, see how he loved him. When we see the cross and we see the empty tomb and the resurrection, we can say, see how he loves me. See how he loves you. See how much and the great lengths he would go to weep with you in your moments of hurt, to speak truth to you in your moments of unbelief, to move in your life by the power of the Spirit, applying the work of Christ to your life, to raise Jesus from the dead, to say you will have new life. Though you die in this life, you will immediately fall into the arms and the face of Jesus. Do you see how much he loves you? The question that I have for you is the same question that Jesus has for Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the God of this world loves you? deeply, and has expressed that love through Jesus. Many of us in this room, we say amen to that. We say yes. We believe that, and that Jesus was raised from the dead, 
and we will walk and live with him for all eternity. And some of you in this room, I don't know your story, I don't know your brokenness. You can't say, I don't believe because Jesus doesn't understand pain. He's the only God of this universe who was willing to suffer not only for his people, but with his people. He's not exempt. You can't say it's because he doesn't love you because he died on the cross in order to make, make a way for you. The only thing that you have is that you don't believe. And I would implore you today in looking at the life of Christ, nothing that you could see around here in this building, nothing in us as people, only in the word of Christ to see, do you understand the love of God that he is pursuing you through his son Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection to display his cosmic love to win you into his kingdom. That is the good news that we believe in. That's the good news in which we celebrate, that in the midst of brokenness, the reason why Easter can elicit joy and praise and happiness is because we had a dead Savior who's alive and promises to raise our dead lives with him. Amen? Let's pray.